And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100% And on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big Sean McCarthy. You got Monday, you got Tuesday, but the best part about Wednesday, Josh Thompson, is the newest edition of the Weighing In Podcast. We have got some things to really talk about. We got the UFC coming up. We got a Bellator coming up. And we have the past UFC and some of the things that happened in that show, some of the fights, some of the things. We're going to talk about some of those just enlightening moments for our fans. We hope that you guys see that we are very close to 100,000 subscribers. We want you to take your kids, take their phones, subscribe, talk to grandma, make sure she subscribes. We will actually do something special for them so they will enjoy the show too. Am I just talking too much right now? Usually it's me, and I'm, I'm actually kind of nice that you're doing it. I'm on track today. I am well-rested after this long weekend, and uh, yeah, man, I was just in a slump, man, over the Saturday-Sunday. I actually woke up late and just all sorts of stuff. I was exhausted from the weekend. So um, it came across, I think, probably I heard a little people. I heard a, a little people. I heard some people. Well, there's nothing wrong with little people. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with little people. But I heard some people saying, like, that. oh, Josh had low energy today. Well, guess what, fellas? And, and Phoenix, It's back! It's back. The energy is back. boy. I am ready. I'm actually ready to hash this all out about leaving even some Saturday night conversation because... <laughs> I, you know, you guys all know, because I read in the comment section, Josh, have a good read. I love it. I love when you guys do that. You guys write that. You guys write and still. You guys talk about how great our show is. And so I go through and I try to like as many of those things as I can. But man, the comment section has been blowing up. We've had about, what, 2,000 comments, I think, already. And uh, it's only been a, what, a full 24 hour? Or, what, sorry, it's been a little bit longer than that because now this is going to drop on Wednesday. Oh, there you go. Very good. Smart move. Very good. Very good. Very good. <laughs> but uh, good stuff, man. I think I, think I want to get into one thing real quick. To talk about, uh, we're going to talk about the Chandler and Oliveira fight because I want to recap that a little bit because okay. there has been some stuff with John Attic came out. Was, there was a question a little bit of the uh, the scoring, but I first want to get into this uh, about the about the Michael Chandler thing. You guys, I don't care whether he wins or lose, and I don't care if he came from Bellator. Chandler and I do not like each other. We have a very strong dislike for each other. I do not care whether he would have won or lost. I'm actually super <laughs> proud of Charles Oliveira. I thought he did a great job. But the fact is, is I do not, Chandler and I do not like each other. So, and you know, no one needs to know why, what the situation is. We just don't like each other. And I could care less whether he won or lost. It was a great fight. I, but I also am somebody that likes to give the guy credit when credit is due. I thought. My personal opinion is I thought he was going to come out using a little bit more of his wrestling and sticking and moving with his punches and his combinations. He came out trying to knock Charles' head off. And that, to me, was the downfall of what he what saw. And you could see it right from the beginning. He was reaching, lunging, leaving himself open. Um, I mean, think about this. Charles Oliver took him down. That's like very rare, for, extremely rare for Michael Chandler. And that set the tempo for the rest of the fight. If I was to go back and recap that fight, because I actually went back and, and kind of watched a little bit of it again, and I was thinking to myself, that right there already set in Michael Chandler's head that this isn't the fight that I thought I was going to get. I thought I was going to be the one dominating, taking him down, and putting him on his back and doing all these things. So in the, in the scheme, after watching all of it, in the scheme of all of this and breaking it down, right from the beginning, Michael Chandler got in his own way with his own head, and I'm not saying that Charles would have beat him. I mean, he got in his own way of thinking that he's going to go out there. He read all the paper clippings and thought he was going to knock him out. He tried. If you go back and watch that fight, you guys, and I, I encourage you guys to do it, 
He's reaching and lunging. If you go back and watch some of his power, overextension. he's throwing straight right hands. Sure, he sometimes will loop in other fights, but he throws a pretty good straight right hand. He slides in. This, everything was lunging, looping. He's had some. He had success with Hooker with the loopy punch. He went back into that. I don't know. I'm not making excuses for him because everyone knows now I just cleared it up. I don't like him. And so when it comes down to it, I don't care whether he won or lost. I'm just giving you my professional opinion when it comes to a breakdown of what I saw him doing and making mistakes. And I think once Charles was able to take him down, it changed the tempo of the fight and, the, and his mindset. Because like you said on on Saturday, is that Saturday night, is he had an adrenaline dump. You saw him between the rounds. like He was like, oh. And that has been known to happen to him for years. He is someone that does not know how to fight at a pace. He fights at a faster pace and he can recover. And he just, that's just what he's always done. In that fight, I don't think, I think after that first round, he had a great first round after he had the first two and a half minutes, like we were talking about. But when you, when you get into the next portion, he came out, even in the second round, he came out reaching and lunging, left himself open and got countered. You know, and that's that to me was the the difference between the Chandlers from the not even from before. He's done this before. He's just been able to get away with it through his athleticism. He wasn't able to get away with it here because Oliveira had a very good game plan. Stay very tight with his defense, cover in front. You know, and I think that's another reason why Chandler had sort sort of looping is Oliveira kept blocking straight down the middle, and so if anything that came straight, he blocked. And so Charles or not Charles, but um, Chandler started going loopy. And when he started throwing loop punches, it just starts making you more tired. He started missing. Oliveira was using that push kick to keep the length. Charles did a great job. And I, I'm not going to take anything away from him whatsoever. I thought it was a great fight. But the one thing I will say, the last thing I will say is for all of you guys that said, oh, you know, that oh Charles won and, you know, we told you. If you guys all knew, you guys should have went to Vegas because I'm sure none of you guys predicted that Charles was going to knock out Michael Chandler. You guys calm down. Okay. I thought it was going to be the other way around where Charles and, and sorry, that Chandler put it on him in those first two rounds. And I even said after three rounds into that third round, two and a half rounds, I could see Chandler start to slow down and Charles start to take over. And I could have seen that happening had the fight went that long. But none of you guys predicted that Charles was going to win this fight. Don't try to sugarcoat it in the converse, in the comment sections, you guys. Come on. We know the reality. You guys, Come all, on, picked, man. You guys all picked him to win by submission. <laughs> Just like I would have picked him to win by submissions, except the problem was I didn't see that happening knowing that Michael Chandler has never been submitted. And until someone submits him, you know, and we saw that in the first round too, John. That first two and a half minutes, he had his back. Chandler's very good at escaping these submissions, these type of submissions. So, but if you guys all had it, you guys should have been in Vegas betting big money. You guys should all be millionaires now, but you're not. You want to know why? Because you're all just attacking me after the fact, after we all know. Hey, hindsight's 50 50, baby. We all know the real deal. <laughs> We all know. We all know. But look, look, we're gonna see this. I think I think there's a good chance we can see this fight again. Do you feel better now? I do. I feel fantastic. Good. I'm glad. I feel a lot better. But let's talk about the annex situation. Oh, um, you know, let's let me say this about uh Oliveira. I wanted to say I don't think we gave him enough praise no. for how well he fought in that fight because it was he did get hurt. He got hurt in the, the latter part of that first round and he was hurt for a second. And it was all the training, all of the technique that he used to keep himself safe during that time to get himself back and collected. And if you go back and you watch his stand-up, he was so technically sharp, very tight in his defense, 
you know, when and you're watching these things, and when you're talking about Chandler and that, uh, the shot that put him down was a left hook, and he overextended, and that left him open. And it, there was some still pictures that were in there, and you see Oliveira landing like a straight right hand, and you see this hand right where it's supposed to be. Everything's just tight and well done, and that's a guy who's going out, trained hard for the fight, and is just implementing that game plan that they came up with. And he did a great job. He fought beautifully. The last thing is, this, this is, there is no, oh, he's a Bellator fighter. Michael Chandler is a UFC fighter. Yep. Okay. He fights for the UFC. He fights for that promotion. And just like, you know, there are guys in Bellator that used to fight in the UFC. They're not UFC fighters. They're Bellator fighters. This, that's the promotion they fight for. So when Michael Chandler is fighting, I, I don't look at him as, oh, he used to fight in Bellator. It doesn't matter. Is fighting in the UFC. That's where he's contracted to fight. That's where he's getting paid and the best of luck in everything that he does. And you know, it's no different than I work with all these guys. I like, I like most of them. You know, there's very few guys that I actually ran into in the fight game that I thought you're just an idiot. Very few. And Michael Chandler was, you know, always a good person to me. Charles Oliveira, super nice guy, as nice a guy as you will find. You know, he looks like a school teacher in the back when he's warming up. He's having a good time. He's usually rolling with Patino and Patino and just, you know, having a good time laughing. He's just a good guy. So this is not about caring who wins. Yeah. I, I have no I have no skin in the game. Yep. It doesn't matter. I just hope that it's a good fight. That's all I care about. And that was for look at for a round in twenty seconds. Yeah. It was a great fight. Yeah, I think people need to understand that exactly. Like, I, I don't unless you're unless you're no skin in the game. I don't care. like Trevor Prangley, anybody that that's I've different. You got skin know, in the game. I've got skin in the game. I'm gonna go for them. The rest of the time, guys, I just don't care. Like that's thing. That's why. That's what's gonna make. That's gonna make my point. My what I'm trying to say come across is that is I'm not biased in that area. When it comes to my friends, I'm just I'm a homer, and there's no way around it. You guys know that. You guys, and I'm gonna be upfront with you guys. I'm gonna stick with my guys. Okay, and that's just how it's gonna go. Um, but the rest of them, no, I don't care. If I'm not, if I, I'm, if I'm picking somebody, it's because I really believe they have a chance to win based off the skill level. And look, in that first round, after you guys all, after after that fight was done, after the first round, how many people were like, "Damn, Josh was right." And then guess what? <laughs> Twenty seconds into the second round, everyone's like, "Damn, Damn Josh, Josh was wrong." Was wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's the game, though. That's the greatest thing about this sport. People want to talk about, it, but that's that's what makes this sport so much fun. That shit very rarely happens in boxing. That type of stuff very. There's so many ways to win in MMA, and people don't. They don't. So many ways to lose. So many ways to lose, and so that's what makes this so great. Because at the end of that first round, I was like. This is going exactly the way I thought it was going to go. I thought Charles would come out, touch him a little bit, try to, you know, try to pull. I thought he was going to maybe try to jump to guard, Ooh. you know, and try to work his submissions from there and just try to get him early while he was still dry, while Chandler was still dry. But then he was going to get stuck on bottom. And I was like, oh, that's not a good place either. So there was a bunch of things that I was trying to figure out how Charles Oliveira was going to get Michael Chandler down for the submissions because I didn't see, and I don't think anyone saw him knocking out Michael Chandler. There's no damn way. Like people, I mean, like, sure, there's things that can happen. I was thinking maybe like a push kick up the middle because Charles has such a good push kick. I was thinking maybe a push kick to the face and then, you know, getting to him. And then I thought maybe in like a scramble, he jumped to his back and was able to catch him clean. I, I was thinking along those lines. And I had said this, you know, even the, the week before when we had talked about the 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 pre -po or the, the pre fight when we were talking about all that stuff, I said, I can see him catching him in a deep guillotine, like 
real quick off the bat, like something that, that Michael yeah. wasn't ready for or rocking him and then jumping to a submission and then it's just too late. You know, Chandler wouldn't be able to escape. I saw that type of thing going, you know, maybe an ankle lock somewhere in there only because. Yeah, I didn't see that. Yeah, because well, the only reason why I said maybe an ankle lock was because Chandler's got, he's got them skinny like calf legs kind of like down below. <laughs> he has a lot of problems with people leg kicking him. You saw that right off the bat with the very first calf kick. It dropped him, you know, so. Uh, but like, let's get into Anik. You were talking about John Anik had a question, and it, I don't know if it was geared towards you, but it was about the the ten eight round, ten nine round. Yeah, and actually, he had a, he John put out a tweet saying, "I wonder what John McCarthy and I think Sean Sheehan, who has uh, done a couple things on what the unified rules of and the judging criteria is and stuff." And uh, he was asking basically about the first round. Two judges, uh, Sal D'Amato and Chris Lee, gave it a ten eight round, while one judge. Marcos Rosales said it was a 10-9 round, and uh, he wanted to know. And so I DM'd him back. I didn't put it out over uh, over the you know Twitter and social media as far as I, I didn't want to have to deal with yeah you know people coming back on my Twitter. And I figured I would talk about it here if we were going to talk about it. So brilliant. You know, I like place. where your mind's at. Thank you very much. I'm always trying to be part of the team here. And so you know it's there is a real question about that round, and it, it was a good round. It was a really fantastic round as far as the way that the action happened and what was occurring. And there was a lot that did occur, but in the end, looking at the round, if I was sitting in that seat, I would have given Michael Chandler the round 10, nine. And the reason is this, you're looking at the beginning of the fight. Oliveira was landing the better shots overall. He did, you know, he landed, like you were saying, the calf kick that, that knocked him off of his feet. You know, that's, that's not a big thing, but it just shows that it's a good hard kick and it had him off balance. And then there was a couple of things that happened, but there was the point where uh, Chandler actually landed a shot and that's when Oliveira shot in. And I always look at the way the fighter does shoot in to see, okay, he got hit. Is he hurt or is he just using this as a time to, I'm just going to get close or I want to bring him down. And he shoots in, he brings him down. Look at his head position when he does. It's super high which is telling me, man, that brain is still there. He's really thinking. He knows exactly where he's at using his technique, and he gets it, but Michael locks in the guillotine. Let's talk about the guillotine because there's, you know, on the commentary right away, oh, that's tight. That's super tight. Yes, he had the arm in place where it was, but you could tell right away his legs were not in a position where he felt he could extend and push Oliveira's back, and you could see right away Chandler kind of eased up on trying to squeeze hard on that guillotine. And you saw that Oliveira did everything right and just his defense was very calm, very relaxed, and he just gets out of it very easily. So do you give it credit? Well, you give some credit that at least he, he, he attempted a submission, but it was not one that his opponent had to work hard at getting out of. So it diminishes how much you give it. So, But Michael Chandler has that submission. So right now... It's fairly, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that Michael Chandler's a little bit ahead right at this moment. And then he turns his back and he tries to get up. And right away, Oliveira takes the back. Eventually, Chandler stands up with Oliveira as a backpack and he jumps back. Okay. It, that's, it's actually a good strike, but it actually put him in a, in a bad position as far as how deep the body uh, triangle goes around him and stuff. So you look at it and you go, eh, it's a little bit more towards Chandler, but then Oliveira lands some good elbows. 
He lands little shots and stuff. Doesn't really get into any kind of submission, but he basically takes the lead a little bit with the elbows because at this point you have, eh, let's say, a minute of time, maybe a minute 15. I don't, I'm not exact on it, but you have zero offense from Michael Chandler while you have offense from Oliveira. That's a long time to have one guy that's landing some strikes, some, some of them good, some good elbows, and one guy not landing anything at all. So at this point, Charles Oliveira is leading in the round. You see Michael spin around. He gets up out. And, you know, you see Oliveira kind of bring up, looking for towards a triangle. It doesn't really ever get close. And Michael comes up, lands a couple kicks, and they're up. Well, at this point, if you're looking, this is about the halfway point of the round, and I have Charles Oliveira up just a little bit, but he's up. Now we go into the next part where Chandler lands a good shot. It hurts Oliveira. He goes down. And he does this like back and forth, you know, shimmy on the ground, similar to what like Nick, Nick Diaz did when he fought Paul Daly, you know, 10 years ago, Paul had hurt him. He does this little head movement, shimmy thing on the ground, but it's telling you again, his brain's there. He's not that hurt. He does get hit with a shot while he's down there. And that's when he turns to his back, which is again, you're looking saying, okay, he's a thinking fighter. That's a good thing. If you're in Charles Oliveira's corner, you're looking at your guy you're going, okay, he's thinking he's doing good. And so now we get into the point of Chandler lands a couple of good shots. He lands some big elbows. But what you're looking at is if you had Oliveira up at that halfway point, and now we'll say you have Chandler up. That's a two-point swing. 10-9 now goes up and back over the other side, 10-9 for Chandler. Now he's got to do work in this section of time We'll say now it's about, let's say, a minute 40 or so of time. What work did Michael Chandler do to make that another point, to take to take that and make it a 10-8? He did land some shots, like I'm saying, but Oliveira was good at stifling a lot of what he did. He gets double unders. He, he controls his, his uh, lower body with his guard, and he basically makes it to where Chandler, you see him kind of posting his arms out, and he takes away a lot of the offense. So there wasn't enough offense in my opinion from Mike after he had that nice little sprint where he was going after him trying to finish him he didn't have a whole lot after that that I can give him a whole lot of credit for to make it a 10-8 that's my whole point that's what I talked to to John about in my opinion it was a 10-9 it was if you had a half point system I would be okay with someone saying that's a 10-8-5 yeah. But it, it can't go all the way to a 10-8, in my opinion. Well, it would have been a 10-8-5 because based off what you were saying, Oliveira was only up by a little bit, so he wouldn't have yep. been at the whole point. It wouldn't have been a 10-9 round. It would have been a 10-9 and a half. Right, there you go. They're very so good point good. there, Joshua. Yeah. So, see, I do pay attention. Look at the time. big brain on you, baby. Oh, hey, it's surprise <laughs> what happens when you get some sleep. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I, I honestly, when we were talking about this off-air before we came on, I said, I could see it being a 10-8, but I really wouldn't care if it was a 10-9, and I don't care yeah. if it was a 10-8 either way. But like in fra- and what we would prefer is the half the half point scoring system because, like you said, if Charles to win that round at two and a half minutes, he would only won by a half a point, not a full point. It's just too much. So if we were ever to ever to do it, it should be a half point system because then it makes it easier for fighters to come back, especially in a five round fight, saying that well, he really only won it by a half a point. Now it's easier for me to get him up by another half point against his opponent. So I thought I thought it would be um, 
I, w- I could have seen it being a 10, like you said, a 10, eight and a half. Not full, yeah. not a full 10, eight, but a full 10, like a 10, eight and a half would be nice. You know, there's, there's a whole lot of things that have happened with scoring and, and there's this whole thing about 10, eight rounds right now. And I, I'm going to be honest, there's certain people that have created problems for the judges. And that's that we had a big push towards people wanting 10 eights. And then all of a sudden there's a big push. We don't want 10 eights. And you have these judges who are in a position that they're working for all these athletic commissions and they want to make their bosses happy. And so if they work in one location, they know that guy wants 10 eights and they're working in another location. They know this one is, Hey man, you know, it's gotta be a really dominant, dominant round and everything. And so now you what you're doing is you're creating this situation where you're not consistent. Consistency is the key to being good. You cannot worry about, are they going to hire me again? And that's the problem. There's a lot of people out there. They're worried about getting their butt put in that seat. Am I going to get hired for the show? Am I going to get that fight? And you cannot do things based upon wanting to make certain people happy. You have to do things based upon, this is the way I call it. This is the way I call it every time. It doesn't matter who it is. doesn't matter what it is. I call it the same because consistency will make me right. It's going to make me so people know exactly. Oh, in this situation, that guy's going to give a 10-8. In this situation, he's going to give a 10-9. You cannot have, and right now, this is what's wrong with our sport. All these kingdoms, all of these people in charge of their athletic commission, and they can't agree on a damn thing. And then they have all these people that come from different locations, but they work all these different locations as judges. And then they have the UFC who wants it a certain way or Bellator wants it a certain way. And it's just, it's a mess. It's just wrong. Just, you know, for all the judges out there, just go do your job. You know, if it should be a 10, eight, look at the criteria. If you don't know it, read it again, make it. So it's part of your memory and good luck from there. Give everybody 10 eights. <laughs> Love it. I mean, yeah, the problem is that they're trying to like, they're basically trying to judge it like boxing a little bit. So as soon as someone goes down, it should be a 10 eight round. Well, that's just, you can't do it that way. Frank, Not an MMA. Yeah. When Frankie fought gray, it would been like a 10, four round, you know, it's funny because you can, you just look at boxing and this is the truth of it. I used to judge boxing all the time and you know, you get a knockdown. It's a 10, eight. So you get a second knockdown, it's a 10-7. You get a third knockdown, it's a 10-6, but the referee lets it go on. And you get a fourth knockdown, it's not a 10-5. They won't let you go below 10-6. Yeah, you should <laughs> It's just ridiculous. You should stop the fight, though, if you're getting knocked out. Oh, yeah. Times. I'm not saying you shouldn't. Uh, but yeah, that's good. That's good information to know, though, because, I mean, like, I, I honestly probably... I didn't even really think about it because the fight ended in the second round, so I never thought about, like whether it was I would have scored it a 10-8 or a 10-9. You know, but now that you broke it all down, I mean I probably would have get I probably would have done a 10-9 just to be honest. You know, okay. but I'm not, I'm not mad at whoever gave it a 10-8 because it was no. very, it was very entertaining, very action packed. And I had when he had when when Charles was doing all the little the snake head movement down on the floor. I mean, he got hit with some clean shots, that's why he sat back to his back. Yeah. So I would have added that in, those clean hard shots. I want to say just maybe two of them. I think there was only one two maybe one or two hard ones though, but made him sit back. And, um, you know, he, he is, and Chandler had some good stuff where he escaped out of the submissions, got on top. He did you don't get anything for escaping out of submissions. Yeah. Congratulations. You just got to be able to continue on in the fight. Yeah, well, this is a problem that people have. They think, well, he did it. Did you see how he spun around? Congratulations. That allows him to stay in the fight. You get nothing for being defensive. 
Yeah, I understand that. But in terms of being in that position there, he went from ter- being defensive to being offensive. As so soon as he turns and he's offensive, he gets he gets credit. Yeah, so that's kind of where if he would have just like escaped out and then backed away and stood back to his feet, I don't give him any credit for that. I give him credit for when he spun, he got into the guard, he started trying to like throw some leather and do that. That's more of a turn from defense to offense position. Just my yeah, it uh, is done. But like I said, look, both guys. I think um, both guys are tough. Both guys had. Uh, I thought both guys went out and and really put on a show i think both guys went out and went after it that's what you want yeah if you're the ufc as the promoter you're happy with what you got yeah it wasn't a long fight but you're happy with what you got because both guys went for it well let's okay so we we did talk about so let's let's go into what's next for charles Oliveira. Uh, that's simple (laughs) let's be honest all charles Oliveira's got to do is sit at the side and there's a fight it's going to happen july 10th there's this guy named Dustin Poirier and this other guy named Conor McGregor, and he can watch that fight, and he should be sitting at that fight because whoever wins that fight should be fighting Charles Oliveira. But it's not – see, I don't think it's as simple as you make it out to be. I think Okay, tell Conor, me why. Conor wins, he doesn't take that fight. Why? I, I think he doesn't care. I don't think he cares as much about the title as much as, like, he's going to make money no matter I think, what. I, I, hold on. You're absolutely right. He's going to make money no matter what. But if there's one thing that we have learned over time is Connor likes being the champ. He really likes being the champ champ. Yeah. Okay. So being the champ is important to him, to him personally inside up here. I want to be the champ. I think he would want that fight. And I'm not sure that that's a good fight for him. I don't think it's a good fight for him at all. Okay. I'm just saying the same thing, but he would want that fight. I don't think it's a good fight for him at all. I think just the things I'm not going based off of Charles performance against Chandler. I'm going based off of just the submissions and the ability to take people down. You know, we saw it with Tony Ferguson. We saw it just recently with Michael Chandler and him being the longer fighter, uh, him and uh, Connor both being longer fighters. He's gonna be able to get in deep on Connor when it comes to the takedown. He got in deep on a guy who's only five, six. I think Chandler's five, six. He's taller than that. He's a small guy. Five, five, now you're five. making him five, six, man. Might be five, five. <laughs> Five, five, four. (laughs) But, I mean, he got in deep on that. He turned the corner, like you said, head up, started turning the corner. Five, eight. Look at that. Yeah, right. (laughs) Hung upside down in his closet, maybe. Jeez. Um, Well, if you stretch the vertebrae. Yeah. He might be a little bit. (laughs) About five, six and a half. (laughs) But, but no, I mean, I look at Charles. Charles brings all the threats that you could possibly think of to to Conor McGregor. To me. To me, Dustin, he's going to have problems with him as well. But Dustin, I think I look at Dustin the same way I looked at Chandler with him. Dustin's got the ability to absorb, which I thought absorb punishment, and deliver punishment. And he's also got the ability to like stop takedowns as well as he's got a pretty damn good arm and guillotine submissions. He's not going to, I don't think he's going to submit Charles Oliveira, but I'm saying that he is able to make it a dirty, grimy fight. Dustin Poirier is sure to is. the point where he can he can actually catch him, clip him, do all those things. It just becomes so when you're as well rounded as Oliveira is, him getting to your back, realizing that his jujitsu game is like leaps and bound bounds above almost everybody. I think everybody else in that weight bracket, he's way better in jujitsu than anybody else. Anybody else in that in that weight bracket, he's way better. You know, I I put him right up there in that um, in that uh, Gilbert Burns. You know, Lovato Jr., I put him right up in there in that category. He's way up there. 
Yeah, I put him in that category. So, I mean, he's just slick on how he gets to the back, how he gets the body triangle, how he attacks. I mean, I Dustin's going to have a hard time with him. I give Dustin a better chance to beat him than I do Connor, but just because styles make matchups. Yeah, styles they do. make matchups. We know that. But So there's there's a guy out there that I would really like to see him fight for that title, but he's not going to he's not going to be there for a while, but you talk about style matchup, Islam Makachev against yeah. Yeah. Charles. That would be a hell of a fight. Yeah, I mean, look, there's only been what? There's only been one lightweight to ever defend the title, I think, three times. Maybe maybe two. I think it was Khabib. Khabib and it was BJ Penn. Well, BJ won. Yeah, I was going to say. Three BJ times. They each com- well, defended it three times. What about Frankie? No, I think he lost it on his third one. Defended it, defended it twice, I believe, to Benson, and then he lost it to or no, not Benson, but uh, BBJ the second time. Yeah. He fought somebody else. I thought he fought he, somebody else in there. He and beat he, he he beat BJ the second time. Yep. He beat Gray. Beat Gray. Did he fight Gray again right away, or did he fight Ben? No, he try. I'm trying to remember, and I can't. Memory's going. Boom! Look at that. Maybe he did. Going. Maybe he did defend. Maybe he, I think he fought Gray back to back. So, and then he lost it. Then he lost to Benson. So that he defended it three times. Yeah. What maybe I was thinking like it's like two or three years. No one's really held the title longer than like two or three years. Yeah. And then I don't think not many. No one's really defended it more than three times. I believe. Frankie and Benson. Benson. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like Frankie defended it. Yeah, it was you know. Well, actually, sorry, Frankie defended it once because he beat BJ for it. And then he did, sorry, he defended it twice. He beat BJ for it, and then he beat Gray Maynard twice. So that's three times. And then he fought, no, 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 no. He fought BJ, won the title, then had a rematch with BJ. Yes. And beat BJ again in the rematch. Then he fought Gray twice. You're yep. Right. And then he fought Benson twice. His yes. fucking lightweight titles and stuff was all re- same guys. I felt so bad for him. <laughs> I seriously, man. Like talk about not being able to get motivated. You gotta fight the same guy twice. Yeah, it's tough. All, for every one of your title fights. Yeah. That sucked. <clears throat> um but anyways, I don't know how we got off on that tangent, but it was That's all good. Yeah. We just had to bring in the answer, that's why. <laughs> um, so let's see. What what else was that? Oh, I wanted to go back over the Burgos fight because you said that you had watched it again when we were I talking did. off camera, and I had said that I had thought Barboza had won the first two rounds. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, are you still sticking by the fact that you think Burgos won the second round? Yes, sir. Okay. And here's the difference. And right. this is what people need to understand. If you're going to ask me, did Edson Barbosa land more strikes than Shane Burgos in that second round? I'm going to tell you, yes, he did. But it's the quality of the strikes that Burgos landed. When, I'm, when you're looking at it, Edson Barbosa is fighting more as a kickboxer. He's using his kicks and his hands. He's more uh, varied in his attack, while Burgos is really going after uh, Edson more with just his hands. He's going after being a boxer type, you know, utilizing his hands and his power in his hands. The big difference when you look at what occurred in the second round was, I think that Edson landed more strikes, but the quality of the strikes that he landed were not as hard, not as powerful, and didn't do as much damage as the strikes that Burgos landed. When you're looking at judging a fight, it's not, and this is what's wrong with strike stats. When you see, you know, oh, significant strikes, the significant strikes they have, are they're not being honest about which strikes 
landed and landed with power, something that we call a heavy strike, a damaging strike compared to it just landed. And, you know, it's the same thing as if I was you know, going to ask you, Josh, you, you have fought. I'm going to stand here and I get to hit you. I can hit you four times with a, with a jab, bop, 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 bop. Or I can hit you one time, boom, with one right hand, solid, straight overhand, right. What are you going to take the four or the one? Solid straight overhand right? That made no sense. <laughs> <laughs> I said a solid straight or overhand right. Oh, <laughs> uh, no! Obviously the four jabs. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Okay, and that's the that's the point of what people need to understand is, yes, you're getting hit the four times, but the one is the one that's going to do more damage, and that's what we're looking at, and that's why I believe Shane Burgos in that second round. He landed the, the better quality strikes. Not that Edson wasn't landing. It's a close round. It was very close. I thought Edson won the first round. I thought Burgos got the second one, and I thought it was coming down into the third. And obviously, Edson said, I don't give a shit what anyone says. I'm going to finish this fight and finished in it, you know, in spectacular fashion with a, with a knockout most people had not seen as far as a delayed effect that occurred with Shane Burgos. But that's the way that you really want to look at judging a fight based upon strikes. It's not the not the volume is is key when you don't have the heavy damaging strikes. Mm-hmm. If both guys are going volume for volume, you really well the guy that lands more. But if you got someone that's landing the cleaner, harder, heavier strikes, that usually is going to take precedence over the volume. Yeah, I got you. I I just I thought that maybe maybe when I was watching it again, I didn't think Burgos landed enough of those hard shots to win the round. Yeah. However, but I mean, like I get what you're saying. I understand what you are saying, John. Speak, hey, okay. Speaking to me in uh, layman's terms. <laughs> speaking to you in uh, teaching terms. Teaching, just joshing me. Just joshing. <laughs> just joshing. Um, all right, what else you got for us? What, what are we doing here? What let's talk about? What are yeah. we getting into now? Let's get into the fight cards. Let's get into the fight cards. We got the UFC coming up with Cody Garbrandt against Rob Font. That's a good, good, good fight. I am looking forward to that fight. It is interesting. There's not a whole lot that separates these two. What is it that does though? Oh, I don't, you know, honestly, I think Cody's probably got the power, but I think Rob maybe has the speed. Oh, I don't think so. I think it's reversed. You think it's reversed. So the way I do. Cody I think Cody's fast. Yeah, he is. I, I know. But when you're talking like when you get to the little guys, it's it's like this fraction of did you, fast. Did you say little guys? Yeah, he's, they're both tiny. <laughs> tiny. They're both tiny. I mean, I could fucking eat one of those guys. You were a fucking lightweight, man. You were 155 pounds. I am not a lightweight <laughs> anymore, dude. <laughs> John, I'm like, I, I I could eat one of these guys. They're so small. Get in my belly. Yes. <laughs> these guys. Both of them great fighters, though, man. I'm very, I'm, I'm pumped. Fight. It should be a great fight. It uh, really should. You take a look at who they, who they have fought in their careers, mm-hmm. and some of the wins that they have. Because I know that, like Cody, you know, got that win against Dom to take the title. That was a great, you know, win. And he had a couple of fights in there right in a row. Yeah, Thomas Almeida. I did that fight, man. He just, you know, I think at the time Almeida was undefeated. Twenty, I would say twenty-one, twenty-two, and oh, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. You know, and starched him in that fight, got uh, Mizugaki, and then got the title fight against uh, Dominic, and just 
put on a beautiful performance against Dominic. He had Dominic confused at times. He was not taking the bait that Dominic was putting out there at times. He didn't fall into the traps. Just really had an incredible performance. And then he ran into TJ Dillashaw and things kind of had a you know, tough time for him. You know, he lost to Pedro Munoz. But then if you're going back and you look at uh, Rob Font, Rob Font also lost to Pedro Munoz. But he's got wins against Sergio Pettis. You know, he's got some big names in there. His own, his only, his three, what did he, I think three losses for Rob Font. Yep. I know he lost to Des, uh, I want to say Des Green, and it's not. He lost to a Sun Sao, and he lost to John. Yeah, that, that was his last loss, I know. He lost to Lineker. He lost to Lineker. I think his first one was Des Green. Oh, I think Des, it's Des Green. Because yeah, Des, Des Green fought in Bellator, then he was fighting in the UFC, then he got in trouble, and so I don't know where, where he's at right now. But, yeah, you know, Des was actually a very good athlete. And that was early in his career. But you take a look at the guys that he's lost, man, they're they're top of the food chain. They're good. You know, Rob Font is good. And his last fight against Marlon Moraes, man, he's you know, he ended that in the first round. He is a stud. I enjoy watching him fight. Yeah, he's tough. He's fast. He's very dynamic. He does a lot, he does a lot of things really well. Um, Cody, look, I've said this forever. Cody let TJ Dillashaw get in his head. Yes. And after that I happened agree. with the uh, Pedro Munoz fight, all he he let he kind of let that same thing carry over. I'm going to show everyone I can continue to knock people out or drop people or do this, do that, and it just got to him. But then when he went back and started fighting, when he went to go fight a Sunset, it was a different fighter. He's somebody that just he fought more composed. He didn't get yep. into the slug match. He he was okay with backing away and then coming forward and and changing the angles. Um, you know, even in that fight, I was a little concerned because he started kind of like letting his hands down, a little bit of showboating, but then he was able to land the clean shot and then got the finish and it was all over. And I wouldn't say it was showboating. What I'm saying is the way he kind of like he relax, he's so relaxed in there. He lets the punches come from different angles, and he had success with it. But I, I mean, like. Cody, all he's got to do is just do what he did with Dom. Stay calm, compose, and have fun. When he's out yes. having fun, he is fucking good. Yes. You know? I mean, he's going to be hard to take down. He's quick on it. Like you said, super fast hands. You know, uh, I'd like to see him kick a little bit more because mixing that, those kicks up with his hands, he's nasty good. He had a little bit of success with that against uh, Dom in terms of, like, it kept Dom guessing. I mean, and his his hands and punches come from different angles. He's got the speed to get him there. You know, Rob Font's got to make sure his chin is tucked and his hands are up, you know, to avoid that shot. So, I mean, you're, what are you saying? You're saying that Rob Font has more power? No, no, I don't think. I, I think Rob Font is a, Rob Font has the best, better chin. I'm just going to be honest. He's never been knocked out. He's never been stopped in a fight other than a submission. I think he got guillotine choked by a. Was it Pedro guillotined him or something? I think Pedro guillotined him. But other than that, it's decision losses. And so I look at what he has coming into that. I think as far as confidence, he's as high in confidence. You know, he's on a three-fight win streak, Pettis, Ricky Simon, and Marlon Marais. That's three incredible uh, fighters right there that you've got wins against, you look good against. And Cody's coming in, and Cody's feeling good too. You know, he's coming off of the you know, that win that he just got against the Sunsiao. That was a big one, but that's only one compared to the three. So I'm looking at speed-wise, Cody Garbrandt's as fast as you'll find. I think Rob Font is close. I don't think he's quite as fast. Power, I think Cody's got a little more power, but Rob Font can smack, so he's got power too. If it gets into that gunslinging battle. 
even though Cody's got the more power, I believe, I think Rob Font's the guy that can stand there, bite down on his mouthpiece longer, and hurt Cody more than Cody's going to hurt Rob. Yeah, when I look back at his three fights, though, with TJ and with um, with Pedro Munoz, he threw the same combination against those fighters. He threw the same combination when he got rocked and he got hurt. He took the punch on the chin two times. Then on the third one, he finally got dropped. So it's not like he's got a bad chin. No, he doesn't have a bad chin. I'm not saying that. I'm just yeah. saying I think Rob Fonts is actually he's just stronger. I've seen him get hit with freaking just missiles, and he takes a step back and then comes back forward. Yeah. My, take my a take, big shot. My take on the Cody Garbrandt situation is like, look, if you get clipped, put your put your hands up and your chin down and circle out and flip there you go. Another day. Don't stand there and just get into that gunslinger. Like, you know when it's a good shot. Why continue to keep going? Cover your hands or cover your head and get out. Cover your chin and get out. And he, he got caught up in that TJ Dillashaw moment as well as I think with the, with the Pedro Munoz situation. If he wants to move back into that title contention, he's going to have to stop doing that. And I'm not got to fight smart. He just got to fight smarter, and that's it. I think had he circled out and kept – he probably would have finished TJ Dillashaw. Had he circled out and kept fighting, there was a good chance that he could have put TJ away because he had had TJ rocked slightly before that. Well, he could have put TJ away in the first fight if the round was longer too yeah, because true. he hurt him bad. Yeah, that's true as well. So I mean, like he's he has it. He has all the tools to do it all. No he's doubt a about champion, it. and I think he can get back there as long as he fights a smart fight. I think he can do that. I mean, realistically, I'm looking at this card, okay, and I'm like, there's not a whole lot that really makes me interested. There's one fight: Jack Hermanson and Ed Edmund uh, Shabazian. Shabazian. Ooh. That fight. That yeah, doesn't that make sense to me if you are in Shabazian's corner. Why? Doesn't make sense to me at all. Stupid. I'm sorry. The fight? Yes. Why did you take that fight? It's a chance for him to get to the upper level. Okay. <sighs> what happened in Edmund Shabazian's last fight? Ah, he just did too much. He did too much. And uh, who did he fight? I'm trying to remember. Derek Brunson. Derek Brunson. Just put it on him. Put it on him. Okay. It was a learning a experience. Well... It's a learning experience for a young fighter, okay? And and these things happen, and you, you go in there thinking that you're, you know, unbeatable, and, you know, you've got this great, you know, 11-0 record at the time, and you've just been smoking everybody, and you're 22, 23 years of age, and then you run into that guy who is just durable and tough and has some experience, and it's okay if I lose minutes in this round. It doesn't matter. And he eventually then just starts putting it on you. And you look and I, th and I'm, I'm just going off of the fact I, I believe I could be wrong, but I believe Derek Brunson was ranked somewhere around seven when Edmund fought him. Okay. I, what's he ranked now? Five. Okay. Now he's five. And so now you're going to go right back into that jump and take on a guy named Jack Hermanson, who is also ranked seven now. Yeah who's coming off of a loss because he was higher. Why? It just doesn't make sense if you are in that position of being in his camp. Why are you taking that fight against a guy who he's solid in the stand-up? He's got, you know, he may not have any belt. I don't care. The guy's got submission skills. He is tough. He is talented. He's tricky. I, I just look and say, what is the rush? 
23 years of age. Why are you rushing this? Time is a good thing with this kid and experience. And when you're putting him against, how many fights does Hermanson have now? You know, you're putting him against someone like Hermanson who has, you know, what? 27 fights. 27 fights. <clears throat> Damn it, dude. You know, it's just called being smart. I just don't see it as a smart move to fight Jack Hermanson at this time. I could be wrong. And and look, at, I'm being honest. Edmund has got the skills he can beat anybody. He, the, the kid is absolutely talented. I just look at, I don't care who you are. You know, when you are young and you're fighting guys that are men, all right, yes, he's 23. 32, there's a whole lot more there mentally than there is at 23. Were you better? Were you smarter at 23 or 32? I was brilliant when I was 23. So. Exactly. That's what you thought. And you were a dumbass, just like me. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's just, that's just it. I just look at you. It's like you're, you're, I don't know. I just don't see the rush with this kid when he is talented and he can be very good. Yeah, let me explain it, I guess, in a little bit more terms of business-wise. Is that at 11-1, and one, they're, you need to fight as many of the, at 23 years old, 11-1, and one, fight as many of the easiest fights you can until your fight contract makes you a ton more money. Then fight okay. those Hermansons. Because right now, I, I can almost guarantee you're probably on a 40-40 and 40 type pay scale, which is garbage. So you're probably going to make 40-40. and 40. If you lose this fight, you'll make 40 grand to fight someone who's ranked in the top 10. Not smart, man. If you're the coaches, if you're yourself, what are you doing? Wait until your contract is to the point where it's like two, you know, 100 and 100 or two, 150 and 100, whatever it is. Now start asking for those top 10 fighters. And don't get me wrong, you can break into it, but break into that top 10 right around the time it's your last fight on your contract, you know, or your second to last fight on your contract. So it's like, hey, I got this one after this one. I'd like a gimme one, you know, not really a gimme one, but there's no ways there is no gimme ones, but give me somebody that, you know, that I know I match up well with so I can get into my next contract that, you know, they're not going to always do that for you. But if you're, if you're eager in that towards the end of your contract where you want to make more money and you're saying, Hey, I want to fight the best guys, but I want to get paid a little bit more. I've dealt with the UFC and I've dealt with Bellator. I've dealt with all these other promotions. They're okay with that. They're okay with, look, this kid's 23. We can build him. We can make him a star. We'll, we'll build him a little bit easier. We'll, let's pay him a little bit more money because we know we see something bright in him. We see that he's willing to do this. But I don't know how many fights he has left on his contract, but at 23 years old, if it's not your second to last fight on this contract, you should be asking for to fight someone like Hermanson, like 100 and 100, 120 to 120. You should be making close to $200,000 a fight. And I can almost guarantee you're probably not. You know, so if you're not at 23 years old, if you're not making those those business decisions, those right ones, you're going to be broke pretty soon. And it's not so much like in terms of broke, but one, two losses in a row sure doesn't help your cause in your next contract negotiations. So, I mean, it's just, it's a tough pill to swallow. Sure. You lost the two top 10 guys. That's not the point. The point is, is if I'm a promotion looking at you, I'm going, you just proved to me you're not a top 10 fighter. So it doesn't, that so when it comes time to renegotiate, well, let's see. Okay, let's go back up to the... Can you pull up the the rankings? Let's see who you can beat in the top 15. So if we're sitting here, can you beat Brad Tavares? Maybe. You could probably be bad, maybe. I don't know. But can you beat Kevin That's Holland? That's a good fight for you, though. Yeah, can you beat Kevin Can you beat Kevin Holland? Yeah, maybe. 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 Not. maybe, maybe not. Sean Strickland? Maybe. 
Possibly. I mean, Chris Wyman, probably anytime. Um, because Chris Wyman's not fighting right now. Oh, man. You know? hey, you, dude, he's walking, though, and you yeah, got to give that dude oh, credit. Man. I tip my hat to that. Man. I love that man. Jeez, man. Way to go, I mean, Chris. Man, you are a tough dude. But you're going to tell me he's going to beat Kelvin Gastelum. I don't think he beats Kelvin. I think it depends on what kind of night Uriah Hall has. But, you know, I think he, there's a chance he could beat him. But speed, athleticism, and kickboxing itself. No. And experience. And experience, yep. Because uh, Uriah yep. Hall was that younger guy who was so talented in everything. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy. Nope. The pressure, everything is not easy to deal with. And the younger you are, the harder it is to deal with. Especially if you're coming off losses. Now you just start in your mind. Doubt. Messing with you. Start doubting everything. Doubt's a bitch. Yeah, and it just starts wrestling with the, with the way you think you should fight. And that's not who you are. And so I think he should have got another win somewhere in there. And then, okay, you know what? Let's go ahead and try to get after Hermanson or Uriah, or Uriah Hall or somebody else, you know? But, hey, like you said, it's, it, who am I? I don't put that much on the corner as much as I put it on your management. Your management. That's, well, that's what I'm saying. His, yeah, his so, people. Yeah. yeah. He's got to figure that out. I mean, outside of the rest of the, but the, rest of the card is – when I'm looking at it, I'm like, all right, you know, there's some some names on there that I haven't seen in a while. Court McGee, I haven't seen him in a while. Ben Rothwell, I haven't seen him in a while. Um, who else? I haven't seen Felicia Spencer in a while, but she's eight and two. She's fighting Norma yeah, Dumont. Norma Dumont, that's not a good fight for Norma Dumont. Although Norma Dumont is good on the ground, so it'll be good. You know, uh, Tafa versus uh, Vandera. And then we've got Carlos Barza versus Jan. Carlos is just gritty, man. She's she is gritty. gritty. She just but gritty. she always looks like she's scared to death. Yes. When she walks in the cage. I don't know if she likes fighting. I don't. I don't either. Because I've seen every fight, she does the same thing. Though and she keeps coming back, so I got to say, it's just the look that she has. But, yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, let's get into uh, some Bellator this weekend. Let's do it. Let's go, let's go. Let's go. All right. All so right. we gotta juggle. we've got <laughs> I feel like, all right. I feel like we need to juggle this this card around. Oh, there is no doubt they need to juggle this card. All right. There, yeah. Talk talk to me, Goose. Come on, baby. You know, I'm looking at this thing and you take a look at the very first fight that they have on the card. On the and prelims or on the on the prelims. Okay. All right. Very first fight is Alfie Davis against Alexander Shabley. All right, now, I know most people don't know who either of the guys. Let's be honest. Unless you're in Europe, you don't know who Alfie Davis is. And if you're not from Russia, you don't know who Alexander Sham Shabley is. But I am telling you, this fight is going to be freaking phenomenal. Shabley yeah. is a stud. 19-3. and three. He is so good. He fought in ACB, fought in Fight Night Global over in Russia a lot. This guy, he loves to stand up. He doesn't really go to the ground a lot. His stand-up is good. It's solid. And Alfie Davis is the same thing, man. He is an outstanding stand-up fighter. He's fun to watch. He's got great kicks, beautiful kickboxing at times. This is a great fight. And it's the first fight of the night in the prelims. It just doesn't make sense to me because, in my opinion, Shabley's or Davis, both of them, they're both guys that you want to for people to see in the lightweight division. 
Well, I can answer that for you. Go. <laughs> I can answer that. The reason why is because Alfie Davis from the UK. We're trying to hit that UK market. Same oh, they're doing that. BBC. Yep. And the same thing with Brett Johns and uh, Danny Sabatello. So, and then you have Janae Harding and Leah McCourt. That's why they're towards the bottom. Okay. Yep. That's now, at least I'm... it makes more sense to me, yep. but it's still wrong. I know. I know. Yep. I know. I feel like that card, that fight should be on the first fight of the main card. Yes. And nothing against uh, Christian Edwards and Ben Parrish, but we should bump them down and put that fight there. That's just my personal opinion. That fight needs to be on the main card. It's a it's a great fight. I'm gonna give the I'm gonna lean more towards Shabley, but then once again, I'll let everyone know my homerness comes through. I've trained with Alexander Shabley, and he's he's phenomenal. Tough to take down. Good off of his back. Submission game is just. I'm sure he's gotten better. It's been about two years since I trained with him. I'm sure he's got a lot better on the ground. But uh, he's got he's got good takedown defense. He's beautiful stand up. Still yep. stays very tight with his stand up. Elbows in, hands up. He's very calm and comfortable. Like and honestly, everything I've ever heard from about him at ATT since he since he was at AK, it's just that he's like one of the main training partners for Dustin Poirier for. Um, for George Mazadal, like for all those guys, that's like and Amazon and Amazon, like so those are the guys that he likes to work with, and so those guys like to have him work with them. So he's pretty damn good, from what I understand. Alfie Davis is great. Yep. The concern I have with Alfie is that he does tend to get tired because he does he does throw a lot of uh, energy, a lot of kicks, a lot of kicks, and a lot of energy, a lot of spinning attacks, spinning attacks, all those things, and those things zap your energy. And Shabli doesn't he doesn't put out a lot of energy. He just walks you down, touches you, and touches you, and then does the work. So it's going to be a good fight. Alfie's going to have to make sure he's in great shape and he can go ahead and uh, keep circling, stay away. He's, he fights similar, and not to take, no, no offense, to a Valley Laredo where he moves a lot. He sticks and moves, sticks and moves. Yes, he does. In that style of fighting. And he's a little bit tighter than what she is when it comes to the to that style of stand-up. But, I mean, he's he's really good. Brett Johns, and now he's got a new opponent in Danny Sabatello. They did him no favors. No, I think Sabatello has a great chance of beating him. I know a lot of people don't know who Danny Sabatello is. This guy wrestled at Purdue. He is good. He is, I mean, I want to say he's about, he's almost six foot tall and 135 pounds. Jeez, man. Okay. He's, I mean, he's tall, but he's got great range as far as his takedowns and stuff. Man, he shoots shots that you normally would tell someone, don't do that. But he gets in and he gets the takedown. He's got good stand-up now. His stand-up has really come along. He's top pressure. If he gets on top of you, you are not getting him off. He lands good, solid ground and pound. This guy is a solid fighter. He is going to go someplace. Brett Johns, uh, you know, he had uh, Mateus uh, was his opponent, Matos. I believe. Yeah, before. Matos, yeah. Yeah, Mateus Matos. And uh, I'll tell you what, they didn't do him any favors with who they brought him because this is a replacement fighter. And Danny's taking it, you know, last, you know, I guess about a little bit, of, you know, a little over a week's notice. But if, uh, if you're talking about bringing in a tough dude, Brett Johns has got a tough dude to fight because Danny Sabatello is the real deal. There's a lot of hype around Brett Johns right now. I'm, after yeah. looking at the two, I, I think he had his hands full with Matos. I was like, Matos is going to be able to come after him, t- try to take it to him. But Sabatello, to me, has the ingredient to beat him because I think he's going to put Brett Johns on his back. We put Brett Johns back. I don't know if Brett Johns will be able to get up. I mean, I saw I was watching the high, some of the highlight reels and some of the wrestling of Sabatello. I was like, damn, you've got a quick double leg. When he can't finish the double leg, he's good at dumping and coming back up on the onto the body lock, and he's very good. 
he dumps on that single leg. I was like, damn, this, he's going to be a tough fight. It may not be the most exciting fight, but then, then again, I look at it this way too. He took the fight on a week's notice, a week yep. and a half notice. You know, he's going to do whatever he can to make sure he gets the takedown, control the position, and get another fight back into Bellator. So I think I think it's going to be a good fight. But the fight that I'm excited to see is the Janae Hardy and Liam McCourt fight because for forever, for the two years, no, the reason why I'm saying this, <laughs> the two years, because I call a lot of Liam McCourt's fights over in the U.K., or yeah. in, uh, in Ireland. And then Janae Harding, too, I've called two of her fights. But they have just a, style, a different style of contrast. Janae Harding is all on the feet mainly, but she's gotten so much better on top position now. Yep. She's okay with getting the takedowns. Her ground up pound's pretty nasty now. And I believe her last fight was stopped due to a cut because she'd cut some one of the girls open that she was fighting. Leah McCourt, phenomenal on the ground. That was the decision. She had the one where she had cut somebody. Yeah, there you sure go. Enough. Yeah. So yeah, uh, but the, the the thing about that decision win that she had against Jesse Mealy, mm-hmm. Jesse Mealy is a and she's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. She's got a ground game. Yeah. And the one place that you didn't think you'd want to see Janae Harding was was on the ground with Jesse. She was on the ground for a lot of that fight, and she just beat her up. Yeah, and that's the one thing after calling Liam McCord's fights is that I look at she's she's good at her judo. She, I want to say she's a brown belt in judo. And she, she's good in terms of her throws. But when she does her throws, she puts herself in position sometimes because a lot of her throws come with the overhook. I'm going to take her back. She leaves herself in position to get her back taken. And so when she steps over sometimes, gets the mouth, and she, I've seen her in some, some jiu-jitsu scrambles, some grappling scrambles, and she's not as comfortable in the grappling aspect of it as, as Janae Harding seems to be. So in terms of who's grown more, I would lean more towards Janae Harding. But... Leah McCord, I've counted her out a couple times, and she's come through. She's been gritty. I've seen her dead to rights, caught in an armbar. She's wiggled out of it and got on top and finished the fight. So she's she's good. She's tough. She's good. She's gritty. I mean, it's going to be a fun fight for me, I think, because, I like I said, I've called a couple of their fights, you know, in terms of in that U.K. and that in the Ireland market. Yeah. Like, you know, I, you've, you develop like relationships with a lot of those fighters because they see you all the time and you're always over there in their country calling their fights. So I'm pretty pumped to try and get back to there. Um, Hannah Guy and Valerie Lareda, that fight coming up. Lareda coming off, what, three knockouts now? Yeah. She, for someone who's like so small, she put us a little bit of power. She can swat, man. You know, she comes from that Taekwondo background where you're figuring, oh, she's got kicks, not not going to be good with her hands. She's actually good with her hands. She comes to fight. People would say whatever they want about Valerie. I love the fact that she has got game. She comes to fight. She's aggressive, and she wants to finish the fight. She wants to put you away. And right now, she's been successful with, you know, in doing that in every fight she's had. So she's uh, she's fun to watch. And yeah, then she dances at the end too, so that's, yeah. all, that's all good. The too. funniest part was no, she did. She did have one decision win, I think. Yeah, did Maybe she have one? Did one. she have one go to the decision? The yes, oh, in the yeah. middle. Anyways, look, when she, <laughs> John, after her last fight, she ran up to us and she's like, "Yeah, follow me on Snapchat." And John and I looked at each other like, "What the fuck is Snapchat?" I don't even know what Snapchat is. <laughs> oh, chap snap, <laughs> chap snap. <laughs> Follow me on Chapsnat, whatever it's called. <laughs> um, what else? What other fights are you looking? Grant Neal and Tyree Fortune should be a good fight. It should be a really good fight. That's yeah. uh, whew, Grant Neal. I mean, he's so compact for a uh, for the size that he's fighting at. 
you know, being light heavyweight and stuff, but he's strong, man, and he gets on top of guys, and he's just getting better. You're, you're looking at him. You know, he had a lot of nerves in his first couple, and he was going, but Tyree doesn't fight enough. Yeah. Just doesn't fight enough. I don't, I don't know when his last fight was, but uh, it has to be now over a year again. He always is seeming to, you know, his fights tend to fall out. He won a, a split decision against uh, Chuck Campbell. I actually thought Chuck Campbell won that. I thought he uh, he won that fight, and that was back in 2019. Uh, yeah. But it was uh, he he needs to fight more. They're both five and zero, oh, so it'll be an interesting fight. Someone's always got to go, but uh, Tyree's going to have to be a lot busier against Grant Neal than he was in his fight against Chuck Campbell. Grant Neal's gotten better every fight. Yep, he's somebody that you can just tell is like he's he's putting in the work. The thing with him is he puts out so much energy in everything he does. He tends to slow down as the fight goes on a little bit. But he's a, he's a he's a grinder. He's he's gritty. He'll get in there and mix it up, and he throws some heavy heavy leather, you know. So he'll do it all, and that's what I like about him. He may not be the best in terms of submissions and stuff, but he's not afraid to go out there and mix it up and put himself in a position to do some damage. But he he's a fun he's a fun watch. Yep. You know? So I mean I'm gonna lean more towards Grant because he's also been a little bit more active, like you were saying. I think he's fought yep. twice during the COVID era. Yep. Um, yep. what other fights you got on there? Well, the, I love Jaleel Willis against Macon. Uh, that fight, Mendonca is. This is like the LFA welterweight championship. <laughs> I just got to say because Jaleel Willis was the LFA champion and he left LFA and came to Bellator, and now Macon has done the same thing. He won the LFA welterweight title, and now he's come over to Bellator. So uh, it, this is it's the LFA welterweight title. We'll see who would have won. I think Jalel Willis is uh, the, just a, someone who's really going to have a great career in Bellator. Um, he's got good stand-up. He's got good wrestling. He's just athletic. He's, he's smart. John, you turned me on to him. I was like, tell me about this guy because I had never heard of him until he got to Bellator. <clears throat> he was supposed to fight Patricky. And I was like, oh, okay, tell me who, you know, tell me about I him. I thought he was going to beat Patricky. Yeah, and I was like, damn. When I saw him fight his last fight, I was like, damn, this guy is really good. Yeah. He's so good. He's, He's really fast. Good he stays composed. His punches and kicks and everything come out so clean. I was like, man, this guy can do it all. He can wrestle. He can grapple. He can do it. He's, he's good all the way around. The fact that he was able to make 40 or 55, he was going to make 55, and then he went up, and I think he fought because he didn't fight Patricky. He ended up fighting at uh, 70, and then he comes back. His next fight was at 70 because, remember, that fight fell off. Well, he had made he made the weight at 155. He made the weight. And Patricky had to pull out. He had an ear, inner ear problem, so they, they shut the fight down. Mm -hmm. And then his, his next fight, he was at 170. And he looked dominant. He looked dominant during that fight. I thought he looked oh. he looked amazing. The fight that I think most people there's two of them, but the fight that I I think most people you guys need to watch is the Austin Vanifer is Miss Paige Van Zant and Fabian Edwards. That's <laughs> so wrong. You guys, you just got it. You got it. So you know what I love about it though is is Austin like laughs about it. He's like, oh, he, he loves. He's it. awesome about it. Yeah, he's great about it, man. But I think this can be a great fight. This is Leon Edwards' brother, Fabian Edwards. He's 9-1. and one. His only loss is to somebody who I'm extremely high on, which is uh, Costello Vanstinas. Yep. And they had a great fight as well. Austin Vanderford being 10-0. and 0. He's good on the ground. He's a phenomenal wrestler. And like you were saying, he's fucking a brick shit house, man. He's super strong. 
He's not tall and big for the weight, but he doesn't nope. need to be because he is so fast. He's so explosive. When he gets on top of you, he's very good at controlling the position. And you can tell that he lives for this. Like this is like he loves being at the gym. He's a gym rat. And when you see when I when I talk to him, he's one of his main train training partners is Yaroslav Amasov and then Johnny Eblin. And so he's got a good group of guys that he's working with at ATT that they just they feed off each other and they're that group of guys you can tell that what they do it works for all of them what i think eblin's still undefeated correct yep, yep. johnny eblin's undefeated yaroslav amasov is undefeated and austin van is undefeated and all three of them are in bellator i mean yaroslav amasov is 25 and 0 eblin i think is what 11 and 0 no no seven seven okay seven so maybe i'm thinking of austin's 10 and 0 so i mean the three of them are undefeated and they all have kind of like i don't want to say similar styles because Yaroslav has a little bit different of a stand-up than than the rest of them. Yeah, but I mean, Eblin but just Johnny's is coming, man. Yeah, his knockout power is there, and his stand-up is coming around. And Vanderford is—he's not afraid to throw the leather either. But he likes—he likes to prefer to wrestle and, and get that top position. But he lays down some heavy leather leather on top as well. But that's gonna be a good fight to to figure out because Fabian Edwards is tall. He's long and lanky. I know you guys. I I say it all the time, but he's a big guy. You know, he's kind of tall for the for the weight. Solid. He's a solid uh, body figure in there. He's got good athleticism, and uh, he's got good footwork, and he's real good at teasing the hips, you know, in terms of throwing the kicks. He gets a little he, – he can be pushed off of his game, though, if you back him up. And I think that's what I think what, that's what Miss uh, Van Zant's going to do. Austin, first off, you know, this is not a dig. I, I'm just being honest. But, you know, you talk about Dana White made a big mistake. Dana could have signed Austin because Austin fought on the contender series and he won and Dana White didn't take him. And I'm like, you made a huge mistake there. And right away, Bellator signed him. And I said, way to go. That's a smart move. And he has proved that Dana made a mistake. He is a very good fighter. He is very strong at 185. He's fast. You know, he was fighting at 170 a lot. It was a big weight cut for him because he is very thick as far as he carries a lot of muscle, but you know, he's his wrestling is good. His submission game is good. His top pressure is outstanding. And this is going to be, can Fabian Edwards stay on his feet, hurt Austin Vanderford as Austin comes in? You know, but Austin throws his hands well, but he's got he's to gotta make Austin pay for any attempts at trying to take him down. If he can do that and slow you know, slow Austin down as far as his attempts at taking him down, he's got a chance at winning the fight. If not, Austin's going to take him down and he's going to pound the hell out of him on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. If he, if he, if Austin Vanifer gets on top of Fabian and he can't get back to his feet, he's in a lot of trouble. Yeah. A lot of trouble. Uh, Darian Caldwell <laughs> making his return. Oh, sorry. No, no, you really, I said, but let's be honest. Fabian is very similar to his brother. Very athletic. Yes. And he is fast on his feet. He can move well. He kicks well. His hands are good. So getting in on him, it's not going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, Darian Caldwell making his return against Leandro Higo. Making uh, his return to Bantamweight. Yes, back to Bantamweight, but also making his return after he has that loss to AJ McKee. Yep. By the way, World Grand Prix. So he's back at Bantamweight. And I believe the reason why he's back down is because there's a lot of hints and talks about the fact that there will be another Bantamweight tournament here coming up. Not another. I should say there will be. There the, will be. There, there will go. be the World Grand Prix coming up, I think, after this light heavyweight one uh, closes down. 
I mean, that seems to be the buzz. They are stacked in that division. Bellator is. They've got a f- group of just phenomenal fighters. Um, Leandro Higo, I want to say, is ranked number six or seven somewhere in there, I believe. Yeah, yeah I think he's somewhere. Darren Caldwell is not ranked because he has not fought in that weight class in over 15 months. In under 15 months, I should say. And, um, you know, and he spent his his uh, last couple of months fighting in the featherweight world grand prix so where is he at leandro Higo yeah. six yeah and leandro higo is number six yeah, and well darian cobble's not even on there no nope. because he hasn't fought in the bantamweight division in the 15 months that they uh they require yeah but that's the other thing you're gonna have horiguchi in that tournament as well yep well, there's some that's there's the some plan. talent in that tournament yeah at least i think that's the plan from what i understand but so these, yeah, Hori, yeah, these guys have met before you know Yes. Oh, they have. Oh, yeah. Darian Caldwell and uh, Higo, they fought when Caldwell was the champion at Bantamweight. And Higo made a mistake and got caught in a guillotine, and it ended in the first round. Wow. So he's wow. got something. He's got a. He's got something to prove to that. That was, I made a mistake. Yeah, I know. I learned, and it ain't going to happen again. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Yeah, that was, I think, before I was with uh, Bellator around that yeah. time. I was refing back then. You were. <laughs> Been a while then, huh, John? That was a while well, ago. Come on. It should be a good fight, man. We're I'm all getting older. I want to see how Darian is after coming off this loss, coming back down to 35. Is he going to get the weight down properly? Because he does tend to fade as the fight goes on. This is only a three-round fight, so his wrestling pedigree and all those things. I've grappled Leandro Higo. He's phenomenal on the ground. You know, but um, I mean, obviously, Darian, he's he's been known for the upsets in the early fights. Look at uh, what he did to uh kid out of San Go ahead and say it. Adam Borch. Adam Borch. None of us had him when I, I didn't have I didn't have Darian beating him. And Darian got out there, went to, to got the takedown, got to the back and choked him. I was like, damn, I didn't think that was going to happen. Darian's been proving me wrong, you know. So let's see if he can do it again. Let's, you know, let's be honest. Darian, when he gets his head on right and he's feeling good and he's comfortable with the people around him he's athletic now the one drawback is he does slow down in fights he does start to wrestle so much that he gets tired and uh starts to slow down in the top position doesn't do a lot of damage and that can work against him that's what worked against him with horiguchi but he's got all the athletic ability in the world he's got a ton of talent he just needs to fight smart go out and do his thing and he'll come away with a win if not Leandro Higo is a man, he's dangerous. He likes to stand and bang, and he's got a good submission game, so this would be a fun fight. He's going to be, Caldwell's going to be hard to beat in a three-round fight. In a five-round fight, I can see it, but in a three-round fight, I mean, it's going to be hard to beat. I agree with you. Leandro Higo out, and he's got all the ability to do it. You know, if he catches Darian often, uh, early and often, it's going to put Darian in a position where he's got to shoot from far away to the point where he he may put him leave himself out of position, leave himself open. So that's a way of doing it. All right, well, John, we got uh, Cyborg versus Leslie Smith. Oh, this is a rematch too. Yes. Okay. This this was actually the very first fight that Cyborg did when she went into the UFC, and they did it at 140 pounds. Leslie Smith was the only fighter that took the offer and said, yeah, I'll fight her. And she, uh, she got hit with a good shot. She got put down. She feels like it was an early stoppage. I can understand why she feels that way. I can understand why the referee stopped it. But Leslie is a fighter that puts a lot of pressure. She has got to put pressure on her opponent 
to do well in the fight. It's not an easy thing to do in putting pressure against Cyborg, but I do believe that Leslie needs to continue to put that pressure, but needs to keep her back off of the cage. A lot of times Cyborg spins her opponents, and when she gets their back against the cage, she does a lot of work with her knees and stuff, breaks off, big rush, a lot of, lot of shots, then back into the clinch and just does this clinch war game where she starts just tearing people down. And Leslie needs to stay out of those situations. If she can get Cyborg to the ground, she's got to, you know, Cyborg's a black belt in jiu-jitsu now, but Leslie's got a very good ground game. She can hang with her on the ground. It wouldn't be a bad thing if she has that opportunity to make her at least have to deal and think about those things. But, you know, obviously, Cyborg's the champ. She's going to be the favorite in this. But Leslie Smith is as tough a fighter as you'll find. You know, I want you to go back and think about Leslie. Leslie, in this, well, I wanted, it was Jessica I. She was fighting in Mexico. I was refereeing there. I didn't do this fight. But Leslie Smith had her ear split. And it wasn't split. It was split all the way along the edge of it. It just exploded. And, you know, the doctor comes in and says, oh, the fight's got to be over. And she goes, I'm fine. Let me fight. And the doctor, no, no, you know, he's saying it in Spanish, right? And Herb's like, you know, okay, we're going to call a fight. Leslie was pissed. This girl is a gamer. She is tough as hell. She is a veteran of women's fighting, and she's going to bring it. She's going to go after her, and I love that about her. That's fucking disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) He's showing the ears. Disgusting, man. Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, I remember seeing the, the Sakuraba, right? His ear when it got that, caught yeah. in the cage in Japan. Yeah. That was gross. This is Take a look at that ear, gross. man. That's a thing of beauty. Look at her. She's saying, I'm fine, man. Yeah, you guys can look it up. It says Leslie Smith versus Jessica I. And you can look it up on YouTube. Check it out. That's a, oh, a thing of beauty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fucking threw up in my mouth. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, yeah, I don't see this fight going her way. Just my, I mean, like, I'm going to cut to the chase. I'm not going to beat around the bush and eat around the tush. Okay, I'm just going to be <laughs> honest. This is exactly what I don't think. I just, I don't see, I don't see. Look, then again, I didn't see how Chandler could lose. Oh, there you what? go again, man. <laughs> but guess what? <laughs> you know what I mean? So hey, let's just call it what it is. I mean, Cyborg, she's, Les going to walk forward and Cyborg's going to touch her. Yeah, that's the thing. She's gonna run into the power, and Cyborg doesn't get tired. And Leslie, she does tend to slow down. She because she puts so much pressure, you know. But she puts ca- sometimes careless pressure. She just walks forward and throws, walk forward and throws. There's no rhyme or reason behind what she does. And so when I look at this fight, I'm like, look, she has a chance, but she's got to get to the point where she like Cyborg makes a mistake and she can get her down and potentially like just wear on her a little bit. But I don't know if that's gonna happen, John. I mean, this, I'm just being honest. I understand. Uh, it's going to be tough, man. It's going to be a it's tough, a tough fight. fight for it. But Fantastic. if you're looking at it, someone who will go in there and basically has no, you know, there's no fear of Cyborg No, with Leslie Smith. She is that person. She comes and puts a ton of pressure. And it is exactly what you said. Sometimes it's the pressure she puts is not all good. She, she takes a lot of shots. Yeah while she's putting that pressure and you can't take those kind of shots with cyborg you got to be smart in when you're going to put that pressure how you put the pressure and 
how you're going to defend and what head movement you're going to use coming inside to put that pressure to land the shots that you want to do. So, you know, can Leslie do that? She can do that. I, I've seen her in wars with a lot of people, but you know, obviously she's the underdog in this fight, you know, but that's why you, that's why you fight the fight. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to see. All right, guys, go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code WAYININ, and they're going to give you some extra cash and extra spending for this weekend's fights. We just talked about them, so you guys now can go on mybookie.ag and use the promo code WAYININ and get that little extra cash to bet on some of the fights we just talked about. If I was to go back through here, and I don't want to give you guys too much information, but fun fights to bet on would be the Austin Vanderford versus Fabian Edwards. That'd be a great fight. Look at the Alfie Davis versus Shobley, if that's on, if that, if you can get betting lines on that. You know, and obviously the Rob Font and the Cody Garbrandt fight. Great fight as well. So those are fights that you guys. And what was the other one? Shabazi and then. Shabazi against the Manson. That's a great fight that, you know, you could pick up and vote on. As, or not vote on, but bet on as well. <laughs> you could vote on it too well, if, you if you want. You want. Go ahead and vote on it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of fights to bet on. You know, if you guys want to get into it. But, yeah, I think it's great. What else you got? Let's get into some fa what, fan questions. Uh, do a couple, news. Of, couple of news items. Okay. Just uh, should, should be pretty pretty uh, short and sweet um okay for some short and sweet <laughs> um first piece of news just conor mcgregor um and his wife just uh, had the third child and um, so you know just kind of talking on uh, this past weekend when you guys were talking about he topped the forbes list like what reason does he have to fight i think this is just kind of adds on to that congratulations to mr conor mcgregor but more congratulations to d devlin because she did all the work Yes. She's the reason for, well, I don't want to say she's the reason. She did all the work, and congratulations to all of them. That's, I mean, the clan is getting bigger. That's five now, right? He's got two boys and a girl. Connor, that's about it. You should stop. It's getting, you know, two boys and a girl. Three is always the trouble time. Two yeah. is perfect. One is held by mom. One is held by, now someone's got to try to hold two. Sorry, bro. Keep going. Congratulations, though. That's awesome. Keep going. Don't stop going. <laughs> Money's an issue. Keep going. Money's not an issue. Keep going, buddy. You leave that girl alone. No. <laughs> she carries it well. <laughs> uh, congratulations, uh, man. Exactly. Congratulations, my man. And, and the name is Ryan. Ryan. I like it. Ryan. Ryan McGregor. That's a good, Ryan that's a strong McGregor. name, man. Okay. What that's else you got for us there, Scotty? Um. So another piece of funniness is... Uh, Benil Dariush, after his call out of Elon Musk um, at the UFC show, he it looks like Elon's going to send him a Tesla. Got no. no, he bought a Tesla. He's no, not he sending him one. anything. Oh, no, but yeah. he may send him one earlier if he has. He can probably yeah. get one pushed through and maybe get it done a little earlier. E Elon uh, might might like the call out, but he don't like it so much. He's going to give him a free Tesla. From but Dan, from what I understand. He he uh, he gave Joe a Tesla. Yes. Okay. There's a big difference. Just really? telling you. Really? <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Really? Yeah. You think you really? I think it's great. I, I want to say this about Benil. I thought Benil was brilliant in making that call out, like he did. Look at the, these are moments in time where, hey, you got all of these eyes, all this attention on you, and you got the mic. And as long as you're not going to do something that's bad. And you make a call out to someone like an Elon Musk. He might not be watching, but I guarantee you somebody that knows him is. And that person's going to contact him and say, hey, man, I don't know if you know this, but boom. And that's how these things happen. I thought it was great when Julian Marquez did the whole thing with Miley Cyrus. I thought it was great when... 
Dariush calls out Elon Musk about his car. He's got a pregnant wife. He's got a baby on the way. It's supposed to be a safe car. Give me my car. It was beautiful. Smart move, Benil. I loved it. You said somebody that you know is going to call him and let him know. He's talking to Joe fucking Rogan, who just <laughs> talks to Elon. Like, uh, he's like telling him, hey, I'm going to call out your buddy. <laughs> That's great, man. No, I don't I don't think Elon's going to give him a car, but I think maybe he can get it, you know, sped up a little bit for him to get, maybe. <laughs> for it to get there. Maybe. What else you got for us there, podcast, Dave? All right. We're going to hop into some fan questions now. So, All right. Um pull this one first one up here um first one comes from damien burry and he asks john what was it like being uh the ref for mtv billy beatdown and please tell us if it was real or not <laughs> if it was real or not okay i will tell you it was absolutely real okay straight out of the box it was real now it was hysterical it was, I had a blast doing it because we would, they would do all those fights in two days. They would shoot every fight within two days of time. They took the bullies, so you know, and they put the bullies in one uh, hotel somewhere in the city because all those fights were done in Salt Lake City, Utah. So they would take the bullies, put them all in one hotel. All the fighters were in another hotel uh, in a different part of the city. So they kept things kind of separated there. The bullies had zero idea of who they were going to fight or who they were going to be matched up with. They had no idea at all. I had one instance that was, it was classic where it was the second day and, and well, I'll, I'll get into it a little bit. When they started the show, King of the cage was the big, uh, element behind it because it was done. If you recall, when elite XC was put together, they had bought, like Rumble on the Rock and uh, King of the Cage and all these different promotions. And that's where the whole bully beatdown thing was put together for Elite XC. And then Elite XC kind of blew up and fell apart. So King of the Cage was the ones that were bringing the fighters to uh, do the fights. And uh, Eric Van Wagenen was the exec one of the executive producers on the show, along with Mark Burnett being the guy uh, that had the name. But you know, Eric is, he was talking to me one time and I said, you know, he's, he's saying they were very concerned about the bullies getting hurt. And I said, then why are you bringing C and B level fighters? I go, of, of course you, you got a, a better chance with a, a C level fighter because the C level fighter is worried about looking bad and he wants, you know, to prove how good he, he said, you're bringing guys that are just not good fighters. And so Terry Treblecock was mad at me for that, but I started actually bringing him better fighters. I got him guys like Tyrone Woodley and Eddie Alvarez and Andre Arlovsky. And I brought him, you know, Daniel Cormier was one that was supposed to be with it. And I brought him all these good fighters. And so Jake Shields and I are, we're having dinner at this teppanyaki restaurant uh, the night before the second night of fights. And my wife is there with me and we're just, we're, we walk in and all of a sudden, you know, we're sitting at a thing and they bring more people up to uh, sit at the, the you know, cooking spot that we're at. And these guys are all decked out in tap out stuff. And so you knew right away, well, those are the, uh, that's some of the, the bullies, you know, at least one of the bullies. And this guy is talking and all of a sudden he's saying that, you know, he, you know, he knows, you know, who we are and, you know, he lives right by my gym. And he, the only reason he's doing this is to make money so he can buy 
a membership at my gym, right? And I go, what are you talking about? That's why you're doing this? He goes, I, he says, yeah. He goes, you don't understand. He goes, he says, I am so physically strong. He goes, there's no one that you guys can bring that is going to be stronger than me. He goes, so all I have to do is just hold on to people and stop them because I get that money then. He goes, so as long as you know you don't bring me, and, and the guy he was going to be fighting was Andre Arlovsky. So, and he, he goes, as long as you don't bring me someone like, you know, who, you know, a guy like an Andre Arlovsky. He goes, I'm fine, right? And Jake Shields kind of looks at me, and I kind of I said, well, you don't have to worry about that happening. He, he's obviously not going to be in this. He goes, exactly. So the next day, they bring that guy out, and then they walk out Andre Arlovsky, and he looks, and he goes, oh, shit. <laughs> so <laughs> that happened all the time. I, I would take in um, – I had Eddie Alvarez come for, for one of them. And, uh, th there was a guy who is, you know, one of the bullies and, and let me explain the bully part. So people understand there was three types of people that were really on that show. There was uh, people that were actually bullies that were dipshits that thought they were tough and, you know, took advantage of someone that, that was true. There was some of those, there was also the ones, and this is one of these guys that, they had a friend and the friend knew that their friend could fight because they you know, were training as a mixed martial artist or a boxer or whatever they're going to be. And so they decided they got together and said, I'll tell you what, I'll say that you pick on me and you fight, we'll split the money. Right. And so you would get those guys and then you would get the guys that they would, they didn't give a shit about, you know, not knowing how to fight. They weren't a bully. They just wanted to be on TV. And so this was their way of getting on TV. But the, the second you know, type of guy was there was one that came on. I knew his brother and his brother was a good mixed martial artist. And I, and I looked and I said, what are you doing? Right. And he says, you know, Oh, you know, he says, you know, I'm not training anymore and stuff like that. And I knew he had trained with Marco who is down with Marco's school. And I said, okay. And so he was supposed to, you know, fight someone. I said, Hey, we're going to switch this one. And, and I put, we put him against Eddie Alvarez and there was a locker in the back and, they would have the people sign it and in the back. He's, he looks and he, he writes on, he says, I come here knowing I'm going to win $10,000 and you give me Eddie fucking Alvarez. <laughs> so, right. So the, look at the fights were real. It was just a matter of what the fighters wanted to do to a point. You know, the big thing was the commission didn't want these guys hurt, but was it real? It was real. Was it fun? It was a blast. It was so funny to watch. And, uh, you said you, you got to see some guys that really deserved to get their ass beat, get their ass beat. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I can just imagine though. Good the, question though. The look on that guy's fucking face when Ardrolovsky walked out. Oh, that, well, that was the best because they had no idea. They would walk the bully through one, one entrance yeah. and they would have him standing in the cage and then they would do the introduction of the fighter. And that was the, that was the time when the person got to know exactly who they were going against. That sucks. That sucks for him. That's well, good. Dave. Um, next question comes from Kenny Andrade, and he asks, uh, what do you guys think uh, is stopping the UFC from adding a 165 division and move 170 to 175? <laughs> yeah, Josh, what do you think is keeping that from happening? Um, I think Dana's just being stubborn. I think we wants to just keep it the way it is right now because it's less work and – I, I honestly, I've had this conversation with Rich Chow a couple times because we've we've talked to Rich, but I've talked to him, I don't know how many times, probably at least 10 times. 
And it really just comes down to like, you don't want to water down what you already have in that division. Now, I don't think that you would water it down. There's plenty of talent there. You would just have to sign more talent though, which means you're on the hook for more contracts. And so, and more fights and more fights, you know, it, it just, I get the kind of perspective that, that Rich was, when Rich was having this conversation with me, he's like, look, if we did it right, we you're taking your 55 pounders and let's not say you're not cutting them in half, but I'm taking like three or four of those guys to create a division for 165. Then I'll say I'm taking three or four of those guys from 170 and I'm pushing them down to 165 and the rest of them are going to 175. So now I've kind of diluted the 155 a little bit and diluted the 175 a little bit to create a division in the 165 that may not they may not be all that great because you're taking guys that are tweeners in the middle and sure they're good, but it doesn't mean that those guys are going to match up well with each other to build something around. And so you're looking realistically, it's going to take you a good two or three years to build a good weight class out of that for people to really care. Now I'm not saying that that, that division would, wouldn't uh, thrive, but your 175 may suffer. Or your 155 may suffer. So whatever you're taking from these other two divisions to fill in that one spot, the one of the other two divisions that are normally your name stay may suffer. And so that's kind of where I think Rich had, had got me. It was like, okay, I get it. And I had heard from buzz. I had heard a lot of buzz around the UFC that there was talk and conversation about it happening. Because you had guys like Nate and Masvidal and Connor and all those guys that did, they wanted to not make 155 anymore and they wanted to fight somewhere in the middle, but 170 was not the weight for them. And then you had some of the guys that were struggling to make 175 or 170 that could have used that weight at 175, whether it was Gaslam, Darren Till, but there was guys that they knew were younger and marketable and they knew they could build on them. So there was talk and buzz, but then that all just fell to the side, I believe, and or maybe I just got wrong information, but there was people that worked for the UFC that said they were talking about it. Now, I don't know how far along they got along with it, but it doesn't seem like it got very far because I haven't heard shit since. So, you, you, Everything you said is right. That's basically what occurred. And um, they just look at it like, why am I going to water down my weight classes? I'm going to create a situation where I could have problems. That's the way they look at it, and that's why it hasn't happened. But, but John, I would say if, you, if you're only going to create one weight class, it would be that one. The rest of them can just stay the way they are. Like 70, you have 75, 85, 95, or not even 95. You just go 85 to 205. You're only creating 165, and you're having to recreate the 175 because of that. I agree. And I, I, I think that that's the only weight class that I would add. I wouldn't, aid, Question. I wouldn't add any other weight class. Question. Do you recall this conversation yeah. that we've had? And what did I say? It's one weight class. One. That's all you're doing. One. I've always been the guy thinking you need to do it. Yeah. It needs to be done. You know, whether it's the UFC that does it, whether it's Bellator that does it, it needs to be done. It would be easier for the UFC to do it than it would be Bellator because the UFC has just a, a, you know, a bigger roster, yeah. more depth. It, it would work for them. I think it would actually work to their advantage in a lot of ways because it would create fights that they can't have now. Yeah, I also think, though, too, it would take a lot more talent from the other smaller promotions. No. I think it would cause problems now because they're going to have to Why? sign more people in those weight They're clubs. not going to have to sign a whole lot more people. If you take a look at what the UFC has at 155 right now on their roster, don't look at the freaking 1 to 15 you know, top. 
Look at what they have for lightweight on their roster. They've got to have 60 to 100 fighters yeah. in lightweight. Okay? Then you take a look at what they've got in welterweight. It's got to be very similar. Mm-hmm. Okay? You've got that many fighters. You can easily, without signing one, mm-hmm. build that build that division and put on great fights. So I just don't see where it would be a problem for them. It, right now, the matchmakers are the ones looking, saying, oh, no, we don't want to do this because why does a matchmaker want to create more work, more problems? Yeah, but, John, what I was getting at was – it wasn't. I wasn't saying so much they had to sign more. I'm saying that if if, and I agree, it's the UFC that has the potential to do it if they wanted to do it. But if they did it and they did sign another, say, twenty to twenty twenty, let's say another twenty or thirty fighters, that would put all the other promotions, like it would it would hurt them a little bit in terms of there's not a lot of talent out there to sign then left over. You know what I mean? Like you already look at the feeder. The feeder right now is the LFA, and we just saw that with. Uh, we you know we've had uh, Jilla Willis came with us and then um, who was he fighting? Um, Macon. Macon. So like he's his champ the champion there as well. Like we just know where the best fighters are fighting in to come over to Bellator to the UFC, you know. And so where are they coming from? And they're coming and there's not going to be a lot of those. Like there's not a, the key. Remember it used to be King of the Cage, used to be the WEC, used to be whatever. Now you remember it was, it was Titan fights for a while. Then, and then LFA and yeah, there was victory. There was RFA also. I mean, there was promotions that always kind of been around, but it's not like that anymore. You kind of have your mainstay of LFA and then there's uh, shark fights and Titan fight. They they pop up randomly here and there, you know, you get some good talent out of there, but you already have seen those fighters probably fight in LFA. You know, and then now you have the contender series, Dana White's contender series. You know, that's a lot of fighters want to go there because they have the dream of being in the UFC, you know. And so you see kind of where they're at there. And then if the UFC doesn't sign them, then they come over, they can come over to other promotions. But like they kind of, if they wanted to, if they started the 165 pound division, it would put a damper in the rest of the wake and the rest of the other promotions and the ability for them to sign 55, 65 and 75 fighters. They might, you know. Um, go ahead. What else you got? Um, Hassan Haidari asks for Josh. Which fight did you feel like you were in your prime, both physically and skill wise? Um, in my prime, I would say probably. Phys- well, I, I look at it differently. I look at it a bunch of different ways. Physically, physically, it was the second Gilbert fight. It was the second Gil fight. I was in phenomenal shape, man. I was in the, pr- the best shape of my life. Was, You're also in the prime of your career right then. Yeah, yeah. I was just, uh, you know, the only thing about that was I was coming off the injury. I was like 16 months off, eight, 16 or 18 months off. And you could tell in my technique it wasn't what it was when I, before I left. If I would have fought Gil again like we were scheduled to fight after I got injured, I broke my ankle, have a plate in it, nine screws, all that shit. Had I fought him, I would have beat him again before that. Because he wasn't, after I beat him, he wasn't the same fighter for about three or four more fights. And I got injured for those fights, and he he had fights in between there, you know, and um, he got better. And so he figured out his way to, to compose himself and not fight reckless and careless and just walk forward, and he figured out a way to beat me, learn how to catch kicks also. You know, so there was a lot of things. There was a lot of things that, uh, but I figured that fight was probably my, my physical best, str- like uh, my the best I've ever been in physically, but 
technique wise was probably the first fight with him. I'd say probably the first fight. I, my push kick was on, my body kicks were on, everything was on point, you know, for that fight. Um, after after that after I got injured because right after that fight I broke my ankle, I couldn't kick to the body anymore because every time they blocked or hit the elbow with on the plate, fuck man, it was like crippling me more than it was them. So I just I couldn't kick to the body anymore. So I still have a plate there and still like sometimes even when I was kicking the bag, like the skin would roll over the plate and it just hurt hurt real bad. So. There was a lot of things. I mean, there was a lot of injuries that came in after that, and I just had to make adjustments to my game. So I felt like I was never the best after that. I would say my best performance, though, probably overall, was probably I felt like outside of being injured and hurt, I mean, had had not happened in the first round, I think it was would have been the Benson fight. You know, I mean, that first round was exactly how I, think I felt like the rest of the fight would have went had I not tore my wrist and my thumb and everything else. I mean... I just couldn't get grips. I couldn't do anything. I went to lock hands. I went to like get takedowns and it just slipped right out and fell right out. I was just like, it just wasn't the same anymore. So it was a weird, it was a weird, but I felt physically really good for that fight. It felt like my grappling was really on point. And the fight that I always wished that I would have got was that Pettis fight over that. Cause that I had just rolled that game plan into Benson and you saw kind of how it was working for the first two rounds. And then after that, it just fell apart after my, my wrist and thumb, but it is what it is. I'm where I'm at now because of everything fell the way it was, and so I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy about it. What else? Well, good. Uh, Jason Padilla asks, Big John, how do you deal with stopping the fight due to joint manipulation if somebody doesn't tap? Jason Padilla, that's a great question. <laughs> when you're talking about joint manipulation, you're basically talking about arm bars or Kimuras, Americanas, knee bars. We're talking those types of things, not finger manipulations like I know some people are thinking can't do that but in the back when you're talking to fighters you're, you're telling them look uh, i will let you work your way out of any submission but there's certain things that i can't have i cannot have you scream if you scream out in pain that is the same as a verbal tap i'm going to stop your fight if you allow that submission to actually work and you either get a dislocation or a break i'm telling you right now you just lost. The fight is coming to an end. Don't let it get like that. If you know that you're not going to get out, let me get you out before you get injured. That's what you would tell the fighters. And with some fighters like a Tony Ferguson, it means nothing. He's going to try to you know, get himself to a point where he, he stays with it. But when you see what like what occurred uh, with Jacare against Muniz, you saw Jacob Montalvo, the referee of that fight, he did exactly what we want you to do. He let the let it go, and as soon as that thing broke, you could hear it. He, he could see it. He comes down, stop, and he's stopping the fight. He will not allow uh, Jacare to go any longer. Now, a lot of people are going to ask, well, why? If he wants to continue on, look, when you have a break like that, you have jagged bones, same as you had the fight. You know, Chris Weidman when he kicks, you know, when he kicked and his foot goes and he steps back, you realize that's a compound fracture. The bone comes through the skin. Well, even though Jacare's bone didn't come through the skin, we'll say, and someone, someone actually told me it did, but I'm not sure that it did. But if it did, that tells you something. You're talking about what that bone can do inside of the arm if you allow the fight continue. It can cut and tear arteries. It can do all kinds of bad things. If it comes through the skin, you're talking about terrible infections with the bone and thing. This is a fight, and it's sport. It's not something that is to the death. 
So we'll get people to say, well, if he wants to continue on, no. If you go and you watch, you know, one of the first ones uh, that was really horrible to watch based upon the referee not doing what they were supposed to do, go back and watch Strike Force and watch Ronda Rousey versus Misha Tate. I'm going to ask you about that. Okay, go back and watch that fight, and you'll see that Misha is placed into an arm bar, and then you see her arm get subligated, meaning that it dislocates. You can see it. Any any moron knows that he's looking at a dislocated elbow, and the referee allowed her to continue on to the point where she eventually had to tap as Ronda twisted her arm backwards. That was a horrible job by the official. He did not do what he was supposed to do to protect the fighter. The fighter got put into the submission. The submission worked. She got beat. It's over at that point. As soon as it gets subligated, as soon as that dislocation happens, the fight is over. You have lost. So that's how you deal with joint manipulations and bad injuries. Well said. What else you got? Uh, Yamisato Naofumi asks, um, what if Gegard Mousasi never left the UFC? I mean, it's a what if. That's it. Like all we can do is just say it's a what if. I I would have I would tell you this. I believe that Gegard would have eventually been the champion in the middleweight division. I don't know how long he would have been champion because one of the things with Gegard is he's been doing this a long time. He's got a ton of fights. He is so good everywhere. But he gets bored, mm-hmm. and he gets bored <laughs> with fighting, and and he doesn't always have that motivation to go to that next next fight. If you to put Gegard in the UFC in a title fight, uh, he he's a handful for anybody. I'm just being honest. When you you look at the ground game and everything, and if you go back and you look at uh, guys that you know were the title holders while he was there. You're looking at, uh, well, he fought Weidman after Weidman had lost it to Luke. And then Luke ends up losing it. But um, God, I'm trying to think, you know, probably would have been somewhere in the area of Whitaker. Would it have been or before that? Would have been Bisming. Bisming. Look, at, I'm just telling you right now. And I love Mike Bisming. He is a tough bastard. He is good everywhere. On the ground, he would have gotten smoked by Gegard. And stand-up wise, they're both. You know, I, Mike is really good. Um, technically, not quite as crisp as Gegard, but he, he's got game. He's and he hits with a lot of volume. I just I would have taken Gegard in the fight. Yeah, just being honest. Yeah, and then and then it would have got to Whitaker, or it would have got to. I mean, it would have been Dan Henderson around that Dan Henderson. Because remember, well, Dan Henderson fought Bisping for the title. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it would have been around that that time. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was he was um he was on a four fight win streak. I think it was when he came over. Yeah. Maybe something like that. Yeah. yeah he's. Just, I mean, we're you're talking about one of the best that's ever been in, in MMA. He's that good. Yeah. You know, he is. He's, he's yeah, just. You can tell he's getting a little bored though. Yep. You can tell when he's bored too. As Brennan Shop says, he's got that big dick energy. Where like some days he shows up, <laughs> some days he doesn't. He's like, you know, I'm gonna come here, 
fuck some shit up and and head out of here if he wants. And some days he comes and he's like, you know what? I don't feel like doing shit today. I'm just going to sit up at the top of the hill and watch all my young bucks fuck shit up. Well, you can talk to Burt Kreischer about the big dick thing with Gary. <laughs> <laughs> he said that on Rogan's oh, podcast. Geez, man. It's hysterical. They're great. Uh, what else you got? Uh, next question comes from uh, NJ Lev, and he asks uh, for both of you guys, Pitbull versus Charles Oliveira, who wins and how? He's not Pitbull's not a fifty-five pounder. Just because he beat knocked out Michael Chandler, he's not a fifty-five pounder. He be it'd be easier, I think, for him to make weight at one thirty-five than it would for him. To- <laughs> you guys, when I said Chandler was five-six, well, fucking Patricio's five-six. No, he's five-four. <laughs> Yeah, he's like he's not not a big. Oh, so I'm giving him two inches in terms of yeah. He's he's not a big guy, so like everyone wants to compare the 55. Like that's the thing. This is the frustrating thing for me, is like when we when John and I give you guys comparisons between like Bellator fighters and and UFC fighters, it's fights that I think they would be good matchups in terms of like this is not like fans come to us with like hey what about this guy. Who's this guy? It's because they, you guys are picking the guy that you guys want to see beat the other guy. That's that's the way. Like that's the thing is I look at I'd like to see Stephen Thompson in MVP. To me, that's an even matchup. That's it's a, a great fight. Board. It's a great fight. But if I was to pick and say like, like I think like we've said this like a bunch of times, Max Holloway and I think Brian Ortega also though the two of them are a hard matchup for Patricio. I don't care how you slice it. Depends on how how well they fight. They they're a hard matchup. Now it doesn't mean that Patricio can't beat him, but size wise, length wise, height wise, all those things. Tall, long, and lanky. Tall, long, and lanky. They're they're a hard <laughs> ma- they're going to be a hard matchup for him. It doesn't mean that he can't start you and knock you out. He's got that power. We've seen it, you guys. He's got the crunch power. You guys have all seen it. You guys watch Bellator now because of us, and we thank you for that. But the bottom line is, is like they, that's a harder matchup. But if we're saying champion for champion, which is the fight that I would want to see, is I'd want to see because they're both shorter in stature, they're both they're both little fire plugs. I'd like to see that fight, you know, and between Patricio and Volk. Um, this to me is just not. I have no interest in seeing him fight at fifty five. The only reason why he fought that fight is because him and Chandler hated each other, and that's why. You know, and Chandler he, had knocked his brother out. Yeah, but Chandler also was not, he, Chandler's not a not a tall guy, and so he knew that like there wasn't a there wasn't going to be a whole lot of concern of him having to punch and reach up. Had Chandler been six foot and fought at one fifty five, he probably wouldn't have taken that fight. You know, he probably he probably he probably would have actually still. But <laughs> I was say now he would have. No, nah, he would have. But I mean, like he, that's the kind of guy he is. But I'm saying like when we're talking matchups here, like. Him, him fighting 55, I have no interest in seeing it. The, the, the fight with Chandler was because of all the drama, but I don't see him fighting back at 55 anymore. I see him more or less going to 40 or 35 before I see him going back up to 55. You know, he may defend it one time, I think, just for fun, but because he loves the fight, I don't see it happening, man. Just my opinion. Yeah. I mean, look, this is the way I see it happening. If AJ beats him at, at, in the Featherweight World Grand Prix, I could see him fighting AJ at 55 just because he wants to get the fight back because that's the kind of guy he is. That, you know, and if he didn't beat him at 45, though, that's going to be a tough go at 55 where AJ is going to be able to put the weight on. Yeah. So, but still. Yeah. But that, that is, that's the mentality that he has. And I, I look at it and say, you know, if you're going to say who, who would be the favorite, I think Charles would be the favorite based upon length, uh, very technical stand-up where he would stay to the outside. And try to pick him apart. Uh, Submission-wise, uh, I'm not saying that Oliveira couldn't submit 
Pitbull, but no different than Pitbull could submit Oliveira. They're both very good on the ground. They just do it differently. Yeah. So, but it's all good. All right. Next. One more. Yep. Last question comes from Fazzy Khan, and he asks, why are people in MMA so fixated with the GOAT status? I mean, this is such a young sport. We may not even have the GOAT even born yet. Because people always want to know who is the very best. That is just the way the you know human nature is. They want to be able to pick out that one guy or that one girl that they go, that's the one. That's the person right there. And it is a young sport. And there's going to be someone else coming up that's going to take the place of whoever is uh, anointed as the greatest of all time. I, I normally don't go. I'll, I usually go with weight classes now as if I'm going to say, well, this is, this is the best I've seen in that weight class at this time. I don't go with one overall because I don't, I don't really think you can go with one overall. It's too tough. There's too much there. There's, you know, too many layers and levels and depths. So, but you know, people always want to have that, that person sitting on the top of the pedestal. That's why you have people fixated with the goat status. Well, I'm going to just cut right to the chase. There can never be the goat unless he's a 145 or 155 pound fighter because all the other weight classes suck. Okay, they all they don't have a ton of talent. They're not as good as that. This right here would tell you why my partner, Josh Thompson, has been punched in the head way too many times. There's not a ton of talent (laughs) in those other weight classes. There's you you have lost your mind. No, there's not as you have totally lost. Do you do me a favor? I might do me a favor. I want you to do something for me. I might put your put your hand up like this. Just put it up like that. Reach to this camera and smack. Put it like this. And smack yourself. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I can't Christ believe you. I give you a good <laughs> I might even extend my hand to 170, okay? But 140. I, I cannot wait to see you coming up. Yeah. I am going to smack <laughs> you in the head. It's only because John, oh, Big John, he's a big guy, right? So he's a little biased towards the heavyweight guys. But there's just no, there's just no way around him. 45, 55 is those stack weight classes. I mean, so I, I, like I said, I'd extend my hand in courtesy to 170 because they got a lot of talent there as well. But yeah, that's it. You can't, they'll never be a goat outside of that. They never have, they've never had to fight stacks and stacks of quality opponents. Dude, I, I can make you look so bad right now. No, no. I'm trying to be nice. No, there's just no way around it. There's no way around it. No way around. Okay, do me a favor. I want you to pick out your best 145 pounder of all time. Go ahead. Who is it? I would say Aldo. Okay, I would say you're right. So I'm going to take Aldo, and I'm going to take a guy that was never that great a fighter. In fact, you know, he won the championship. We'll take Brock Lesnar because he's not he's not talented like you're saying. And I'm going to put Lesnar against Aldo. Who wins, Josh? No, no, we're talking about the goat. We're about no, the- no, 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 exactly. So who wins? Oh, no. Because if that's the goat, he can beat that guy. No. Yes. That's not how the goat conversation goes. <laughs> it is how the goat conversation no. goes. No. You, you're going pound for pound. Who's the greatest no. fighter of all time? Who's the guy that could beat everyone? Wait, wait, wait. Last I checked was goat was greatest of, of all time. Oh, yes. Oh, very good. Okay. <laughs> Greatest of all, like, whoever had the the most accomplished records, just in oh, just that's in their not, weight class. It's not Brock Lesnar, but, it, but it's not it's not as far as pitting them against the other ones, because it is. Nah. That's why John Jones has always been the guy. If you're looking and saying, "Hey, who's done it longer? Who's done it better?" and I, and I always go with, he's the he's the best I've ever seen over a long period of time, 
and Khabib is the most dominant that I've ever seen. Okay, but yeah, I mean, here's the only problem that I have with with what I'm saying. Like, John has fought tough fighters, mm-hmm. and I'm not knocking John. John's fought tough fighters. No, you're not knocking him. But he's fought. He fought the guys that he beat in the beginning of his career were fighters that were towards the end of their career. And now, though, don't get me wrong, towards the end of his career now, as he's getting older, he's having to fight the up-and-comers, and the fights have gotten a lot closer. And I agree that he is good. He's been the longest, like you said. The problem is, though, is that the weight classes for 45, 55, and 70, they are so stacked that it's hard to reach I agree with title you. for so I agree long. with you. That's I what made Jose Aldo so special, was that he did it for so long against such tough talent that still some of them are still fucking fighting because that's how good they are. You know, so I just look at it as like, an, and it shows in the 55 pound division because we were talking about it earlier that Frankie and and BJ and and Khabib and I don't know who else, but I think they're the only three that ever was able to defend their title more than three times or three times. No one else has really uh, defended it more than twice. Same with him. Same so, with, okay, Stipe is the only one in the heavyweight that ever defended his title more than three times. Okay. So I mean, he he can be the best in that weight class, <laughs> the best in that weight class. I mean, but there's not there's not a ton of those fighters in that weight class. There was good. There was a couple of good ones at the top there for a while, but it's not it's not anywhere near as stacked, John. As you know it, you, I don't. He's my devil's advocate. I guess. my job is to make your life miserable, and you're doing a wonderful job of that. <laughs> yes. yes. All right. All right. Well, I think that wraps up our show. And so we would like to for you guys to go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Use the promo code and still. We've got our Memorial Day uh, t-shirt that is limited edition that is only out until Memorial Day weekend, which is what? Next, not next week, but the week after. After. So make sure you guys pick it up before it shuts down. They will not be available. Podcast Dave did a wonderful job of uh, putting this shirt together. It's got the American flag on it. It says Memorial Day on it. It's got the camo in the background with the big like arms. Those are Big John's arms, by the way, that we mimicked. And we took like a photo it. of it and put that up. And then it says on there, thank you. And so we want to thank our troops and thank our military for everything they've ever done for us. And we appreciate them. And that is one way to do it. And so we wanted to show you guys that we have that shirt available for you guys on our ProWrestlingTees.com slash Wayne In. Use the promo code and still pick that up. Also go to um, the thumbnails, or not the thumbnails, but the thumbs up and the <laughs> the thumbnails. You go to <laughs> thumbnails too. Go to the thumbs up and the little bell on the bottom of the of the page there for YouTube and hit that subscribe button as well. We want to we appreciate it. Also, you guys, when we do our fan questions now, Dave's gonna start going through the comments section, start liking the comments that you guys like the most, and Dave will maybe pull those questions out of that comment section. So, um, so we can actually pull those and use those as Q and A's. All right, so whatever one gets the most likes is the one that we would um, probably use on our Q&As. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Because I think I said it's the comment section in the, the Q&A post. In the Q&A post. I want to make sure that was clarified because for a second I think you guys thought we were going to go to the video comment section where you guys just bag on me. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. Uh, but, hey, it's been a great show, John. Also, hit all of all our audio platforms. Oh, yeah iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Hit up all those audio platforms. I've We've learned that the majority of you listen to us on iTunes and Spotify and occasionally some uh, Stitcher, but I think it's mainly the Spotify and the uh, iTunes. So hit that subscribe button on both of those if you guys have them, and we appreciate you guys. John, what else you got? 
The last thing I have to say, as always, is to everyone out there, thank you for listening to the latest edition of the Wing In Podcast. And Josh and I will see you.